Turn to Acts chapter 19, verse 21. Our reading this morning continues with Paul at the city of Ephesus. If you recall, last Lord's Day, we met the seven sons of Siva, who were mercenary exorcists, who soon find themselves in the possession of the evil spirit themselves, wounded, stripped naked, and fleeing. The exorcists needed an exorcism. And we learned that there is no power in heaven or earth by which the devil is defeated except that which is in Jesus Christ. Today we continue with Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and in particular we meet a man by the name of Demetrius. Let us pray and then read. Our gracious God and Father, we ask for your help in what we are about to do in the public reading of Scripture and its preaching. We confess, O God, that we are helpless without your presence and power. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come among us, visiting each one like a good plowman, making the heart free of fallow ground. Break it up, O Lord. Make the soil good so that the good seed might be implanted and take root and bring forth a harvest of righteousness 30, 60, 100-fold. O Father, we are in desperate condition for your visit, for your power, for your care, all promised to us in Jesus Christ. And so we pray in his name. Amen. Acts 19, verse 21. Now, after these, thing, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She, whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, 
and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is God's word. Beloved, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a danger. You heard it. Danger. The gospel is a danger to economic idols. By economic, we mean any system of money-making. By idol, we mean a counterfeit god, a false god, an imagined god who constantly whispers counterfeit promises into the human heart to keep the soul captive to sin, to the world, and to the devil. Economic idols. To bring the two together, economic idols are counterfeit gods who promise the illusion of peace, security, and joy through the making and through the hoarding of money through the accumulation of possessions. Are there any economic idols in your state, in your city, in your country, in you? But the gospel is a great and glorious danger to economic idols. The gospel, like a sword, comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does a gospel sword do? It separates men who once shared a common bond around the earthly promise of wealth. In our text this morning, Demetrius of Ephesus complains about this very separation which is just a preview of what? The final separation that will come on Judgment Day. Here's what happened. Men who once were in economic union are suddenly separated because of the gospel. Demetrius cries out in verse 26, Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. Many people in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, begin to confess that they are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. But others remain alienated from the life of God. 
because of ignorance, because of a hardness of heart. So there's the reconciled and the remaining alienated. But those reconciled to God, they are liberated. They are liberated from the dominion of always lusting after earthly treasure. Have you been so liberated? The reconciled are liberated from all those earthly systems of appeasement where you do this and don't do that to keep the gods on your side. They are liberated from that. But those who are still alienated from God, they, well, they remain easily consumed by earthly losses, easily consumed by earthly gains, easily consumed by earthly fears. A little heat lights them up in the flame of lust. Now, the separation that we are speaking of, the separation the gospel creates, this separation can happen between a buyer and a seller. We see that in our text. This separation can happen between an employer and an employee. This separation can happen between a a nation and a citizen. I recently heard a congressman in this country complain, saying, if women do not have access to abortion, our economy will suffer, and the personal financial security of women will suffer. What counterfeit God does the congressman invite all of us to serve? Prosperity. To limit abortion is to offend the God prosperity. The counterfeit God makes the counterfeit promise that your life will have longevity, quality, and meaning Only if you are fiercely devoted to prosperity, not to the weak, not to the small, not to the hidden. Devote yourself to upward mobility. Devote yourself to affluence. Devote yourself to the economy. Devote yourself to independence. Serve the God of prosperity. And here comes the counterfeit promise. You won't fall behind you won't fall behind. You'll have more than your parents. Stay devoted to prosperity. But praise be to the Father of all mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ. His gospel comes to us in power, and by its light, we see that we had been slaves to the devil. Satan had ruled us through a lust for earthly earthly things. But in the gospel, we discover sinners are now reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. God is no longer counting our trespasses against us, which means because of the gospel, we are no longer orphans in the world. The earthly lusting for earthly treasure and earthly possessions has been broken in us because in the gospel, we have a father to whom we are reconciled through perfect righteousness, and we are not orphans any longer. The Father in heaven is our Father, and it is his pleasure, Jesus says, to give you the kingdom. We have a treasure in heaven that does not fail. And since Christ who died is now alive forevermore, 
There is nothing that can separate you from this Father's love. Therefore, we have nothing to fear as it concerns earthly possessions. We can now make our faith and obedience the main pursuits of our life. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Put that bumper sticker on your car. Put it on your boat. Put it on your ATV. Put it on your cottage. Put it on your 401k. Put it everywhere so that you do not get tricked by your own eyes. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The Christian's abundant life is in the age to come with Jesus Christ. And seeing this, we are liberated to end all the old devotion to the counterfeit gods that continue in desperate men. Now, back to Demetrius. Demetrius of Ephesus is quite a helpful case study in economic idolatry. Here is what we know of Demetrius. Our text tells us he was a silversmith, literally a worker with silver. That means Demetrius melted the silver and then skillfully crafted the silver into all sorts of products. Whatever his customers wanted, Demetrius could make it. Maybe a special coin, maybe a special piece of jewelry, maybe a special utensil, maybe a water pitcher, a basin to go with it. But the trinket that really made Demetrius a lot of money, you know what it is. It was the little silver shrine of Artemis. These were hot ticket items. And the text says not just for Demetrius, but for everyone in the craft throughout the city of Ephesus. This was the moneymaker. This was the big gulp at the gas station. It's what got people to come to the city and spend even more money on other things. A shrine of Artemis was a miniature representation of the grand temple of Artemis. And this temple, located in Ephesus, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Pliny says it had 127 marbled columns. There's a dispute of whether it took 120 years to build or 200. But when it was finished, it was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, and 62 feet high, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Artemis, the goddess, she dwelt inside the temple in the form of a statue. And the statue's form clearly showed that she was both a goddess of fertility and the god of wild beasts. She had lions all over her neck. And now we understand why Paul says to the Corinthians, a letter which he wrote while here, in Ephesus, I wrestled with wild beasts. He's referring to Artemis. The worship of Artemis was so closely associated with this city she was called Artemis of Ephesus. People from all over the world came to worship her, and many would come, and they would buy in Ephesus a silver shrine of Artemis, maybe two, and one they would take to the temple and leave there as homage or devotion 
for a recently born child or a bumper crop, they would leave the shrine at the temple and the other one maybe they take home and they pray to it. But Demetrius is very upset. He starts a riot. He's so upset. He is losing money. Why? Because many people in Ephesus have become Christians. What they once did with their money, they are no longer doing with their money. They have learned from the gospel that they owe the local counterfeit God nothing. And their life is not in danger. They are the children of a heavenly father. They are now saving money. And they can use it for more holy ends. But someone is losing money. Demetrius and his craftsmen. Now it's so very interesting how Demetrius communicates his complaint. And this is in verse 27. Though Demetrius is clearly motivated by personal greed... Notice in verse 27 that his complaint is hiding his greed underneath all of this social piety. He pretends he is really concerned about three things. He says, this trade of ours will come into disrepute. People will talk down on the silversmiths. Then he says, the temple of Artemis will be counted as nothing. Boy, if this Christian thing takes off, People will stop calling this a wonder of the ancient world. And then then he adds this, and you can see him climbing the hierarchy. The magnificence of the goddess Artemis herself will be harmed. It all sounds so very pious, doesn't it? But here's the funny thing about Demetrius. If a pagan priest living and working in Ephesus introduced a new doctrine about Artemis that actually diminished her magnificence, but at the same time increased people's interest in her, brought more tourists, sold more silver shrines? Does anyone seriously think Demetrius would complain about a doctrine that diminished the magnificence of Artemis? He would not. As long as he makes money, Demetrius accepts all theology. Money is the lens through which he determines whether your theology is sound. He is a greedy opportunist. He knows Paul's doctrine. Do you see it in 26b? He says this Paul is saying that gods cannot be made by hand. Demetrius knows Paul's doctrine, but he doesn't want Paul's doctrine debated. He wants it silenced. He traffics in power, not principle. That's why he's going to get a riot going with other craftsmen. Demetrius shows early signs, do you see it, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's on the earth and he's already experiencing what will belong to him forever in hell. This will be his everlasting future, this weeping and gnashing of teeth, unless he repents. The counterfeit God that satisfies his greed will fail him and will fail you. All counterfeit gods will fail. 
First, because the counterfeit is no God at all. Second, because the counterfeit is going to keep Demetrius a transgressor and lead him deeper in his transgression. He does not worship the true God because he has a God. So he thinks. And third, all the counterfeit promises are going to vaporize at death. Only the Father, only the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ can quiet and forever bless the restless heart of men. Now let's take Demetrius on the road for a moment. Let's bring him all the way into the 21st century. Are you ready for this? I warn you in advance, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a danger to economic idols. I want you to imagine for a moment being an employee at a factory that is open every day of the week. It makes the most popular toy in the state. And it's okay if you conceive of this toy as being green and gold in color. You like to work seven days a week to make money. You especially like working at this factory Sundays because on Sundays you get paid time and a half. That means you get paid your regular wage plus half of it on top. But suddenly, you discover that the owner of the factory has become a Christian. And he decides to shut the factory down on Sundays. And you are upset. And you can explain all the reasons the owner is making a huge mistake. Your reasons are dressed up in pious language. Families will suffer. The reputation of the state will be hurt. But why are you really upset? It's because you and the owner are no longer devoted to the same gods. A separation of faith, a separation of devotion has come in like a sword. The owner now delights in the worship of God through Jesus Christ. Listen, the owner now delights in putting his soul to the test to indeed rest in the care of God, that he will be able to provide for his family, that he will even be able to give to the poor by taking a day off and shutting the factory down. But your rest is in a counterfeit God, And the way the counterfeit God cares for you is to keep you working and working and always whispering, you're doing it. You're getting it done. You're building your future. When your God found you, you had the disease, philarguria. Have you ever heard of this disease? Philarguria? When your God found you, you had philarguria, and your God did not heal you of philarguria. Of course, Satan has no power to heal of this disease. But even so, the counterfeit needed you to keep the disease philarguria. He needed you to keep it. Why? Because it is that disease that keeps you devoted to all his counterfeit promises, chasing after them. Philarguria is a Greek word translated five times in your New Testament by the phrase lovers of money. 
Three English words to translate that one Greek word. Lovers of money. Here is one instance of that word's use. Probably the best known instance. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 1 Timothy 6.10. Philurguria is a disease in the sinful heart that makes men and women love the most material of worldly goods, which is money. The love of money is so strong, it's so common in the sinful heart because it is so closely related to loving the things of the earth, loving the things of a fallen world. This is why philurguria is so closely related to idolatry. In Colossians 3.5, Paul says, covetousness is idolatry. There is an organic union between money and idolatry. What is it? What is that foundational thing both money and idolatry have in common that has come together in this organic union? What is this? Worldliness. But more accurately said, and of this world hunger. That's the worldliness. And of this world hunger. Greed and idolatry are both vices that serve sinful man's interest in prospering in this present world. Jesus Christ did not prosper in this present world. Our Lord Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead and build a mansion in Colorado Springs. Beloved, this is a fallen world that needs to be scrubbed by the holy fire of God, and that day will come. But idols and greed both fool the sinful heart into thinking that prospering in this present world is the ultimate life. In the third century, there was a different proconsul than the one mentioned in our text. The proconsul of Africa went by a name that sounds very similar, Demetrianus, not Demetrius. But the proconsul of Africa was Demetrianus. He complained about something that was causing more and more severe plagues in the Roman world, especially around Carthage. He complained about something that was causing more and more wars, more and more droughts, more and more diseases. And against what? Do you think Demetrius complained? What did he blame for all this increase of troubles? Do you know? He blamed the Christians. And do you know why he blamed the Christians? He said, because they refused to worship the Roman gods. Do you see how tightly idolatry is associated to earthly prosperity? Demetrianus saw it, but he was dead wrong. Prosperity and honor of the counterfeit gods is tightly bound in the human heart. This is where the counterfeit gods come from. The vain imaginings of men who want to control their earthly existence 
by taking offerings and sacrifices to particular places and making them before venerated images of long-dead men and women. What is the solution to cure this disease? The solution is the very gospel that had broken the devotion of many in Ephesus to the goddess Artemis. Paul has persuaded the people of Ephesus who have become believing Christians that the gods made with hands are not gods. Verse 26. Paul taught and pressed this truth earlier when he was in Athens. And that's why Demetrius can say Paul is spreading this all around the world. Do you remember what Paul said to the Athenians? Acts 17, 29. Quote, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. And he also said to the Athenians, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. In another letter, which Paul wrote while in Ephesus, he said this, for although there are many, and may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6. Beloved, as the gospel was preached in Ephesus, the Gentiles there learned there's only one God to be reconciled to. And this one God is invisible. And this one God has undertaken himself and completed himself the work of reconciliation. This gospel was like a lightning strike. Every city where it was preached It liberated men and it liberated women from their age-old fears that the capricious gods who you could carry and drop, that those capricious gods of Rome could never be satisfied. The gospel came like lightning and liberated the soul from fear. The one God who as God is holier than all counterfeit gods He is so holy. He is beyond anyone's ability to satisfy. He must satisfy himself. And this is the gospel we preach. He satisfies his own wrath against man's sin by offering his own son to bear the weight of obedience and bear the weight of judgment. It's very interesting that a man is put forward in the midst of the riot as the theater fills with people and everybody is shouting and now it's been going on so long that people have been added who don't know what they're shouting about. It's very interesting at that point that the Jews put forward a man named Alexander. It is commonly agreed among Bible scholars that the Jews put forward Alexander because they are embarrassed and ashamed that their monotheism is being attacked because of a 
group that they themselves reject. The Christians, the Apostle Paul. So Alexander is going to get up and speak to denounce Paul and not let the Jews become part of this great criticism and hatred because the Jews are monotheists. But something amazing is happening here. The gospel of Jesus Christ has done in Ephesus what all the Jews who have lived there could never do. Make monotheists, the worshipers of one God, believers in one God, the gospel is made monotheist out of pagan Gentiles. Why couldn't the Jews ever do that? One answer is because the Jews did not preach and proclaim the mercies of God. They did not tell about the coming Redeemer who would indeed bring all the nations out of Satan's power. They did not see the gospel in their prophets, even though the prophets and the law foretold the gospel. And so they did not preach it. And the Lord, this is the other reason, the Lord waits He waits until the fullness of time has come. He waits until Jesus Christ has been raised to send forth the liberating power of a gospel of good news to the nations who are in darkness. And so the gospel has so deeply satisfied the souls of its hearers in Ephesus and around Asia that they are becoming monotheist And the gospel is doing what the Jews could never have done. Beloved, here is the simple solution to the disease that we have spoken of today, the love of money. The simple solution is to see that there is but one God. And he is the reconciled father to all who come to him through Jesus Christ. And that he, as a reconciled father will give to us all that we need, and whatever he withholds is not what we need. And if it is our calling even in this life, and that the reconciled Father gives us poverty, gives us even a kind of humiliation, if he even calls us to be driven out of the world like his son by our enemies, he will never forget us and fail to give us the kingdom which he has secured for us in the death and resurrection of his son. The gospel of Jesus Christ, by faith in Christ, alone heals philogeria. And when you are healed of this, you agree with our Lord Jesus in Matthew 6, where he says, Your treasure is in heaven, not upon the earth. Your treasure is in heaven because the man from heaven has descended. He has been condemned in the likeness of sinful flesh for your sins, and he has returned to heaven. And now nothing can touch him. That is your treasure. And as it shines in your heart, you are now liberated from hoarding in the last days. You are now able to see for the first time 
the poor as the Lord would have you to see them. You are now able to reorder your priorities, re-rank your ambitions. You are now beginning to open your hands and give because now you recognize all that you have has only been given to you, whether it's the 48 cents in your pocket this morning or whether it's the $50,000 in a secret stash in your backyard. Everything you have has been given to you for one reason, and now you see it. It has been given to you to testify before men and angels and powers and principalities that your greatest treasure is not found in anything that men can count or weigh in their hands or see with their eyes. Your greatest treasure is in heaven. And all that you have now has been given, you see that it's been given to you to order and use to testify to the greatness and worth of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we are at the end of the age. We are in the fullness of times. We are not living any longer like those who are still desperately chasing after the counterfeit promises of counterfeit gods. The Christian lives different. He no longer does with his money what he once did with his money. And this is why we see Barnabas selling property back in Acts 4. This is why we see such generosity towards the poor in the church. This is why the Christian is no longer afraid to disappoint his mom and dad by saying, I will not end up with as much as you. I have so much more in Jesus Christ. And that, beloved, may come to be one of the greatest testimonies of the worth of Christ that you could ever give to some of your relatives. Jesus Christ is a treasure. Test yourself. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, how you do not flatter the ambitions of men It is your prerogative and pleasure to raise up men and women who do not cling to earthly treasures, who are pleased to order and arrange their lives to testify that they have a greater treasure, a treasure in the heavens where neither moth nor rust can destroy. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help each and all Lord, we pray that we would indeed find our faith and our obedience deepening on these very matters. That we would be able to see more clearly where patterns in our lives have come forth because we are listening to counterfeit promises from counterfeit gods. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for all the ways in which you have granted us a true repentance of old ways that used to rule us and have dominion over us, where we lived for ourselves 
and always reinvested into ourselves. Lord, we thank you that we can now look back and see how you have put that to death in us. Lord, we thank you that even on this Lord's Day, we are able to give. That we are able to go home and give to our children and give to our neighbor. Lord, we thank you that you have brought an end to the stealing and the thieving that we used to partake of. The embezzlement, the tricks, the games, the cheating. We thank you that you've put it to death in us. We praise you, O Lord, that you have done this by the power of the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit, and we do not regret that it is done, for we see that we have a treasure in heaven that is greater than all the things that we once clawed after. Father, we do pray that we ourselves would have at work in us the same grace we see in our fathers and brothers in Ephesus to withdraw our participation in that which is ungodly. May we do so with joy. May it be an easy obedience for us through the power of the risen Christ and in sight of his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.